Daniel chapter 17. I, uh, I've got a message for you that I think, that I believe the Lord's been laying on my heart ever since last weekend. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think kind of the, um, the rippling effect uh, when we see tragedies and things like this happen, you know, I, I think probably overwhelming effect is that we need to see change. Anybody believe with me that we need to say change? We, we see change in our government. We need to see change uh, in our world, in our economy, uh, uh, whatever it is that we're confronted with, whether personally or nationally or, uh, you know, generationally, whatever the, the issues that, are up, that we're up against, I believe there needs to be change. And uh, so the title of my message today is very simply, this is how we change the world. This is how we change the world. And, and, and I believe that the Bible is filled with individuals that changed the world changed the world, that they are in this book uh, that was written over 2,000 years ago. It was written from a time span of about 15 to 1,600 years. It covered about 15 to 1,600 years. Over 40 different authors, 66 books uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament that talk about the past and uh, help us reflect on the future that is ahead of us. Um, And I believe that this book is full of world changers. And when we say that statement, world changers, it sounds huge. It sounds big. It sounds massive. Like, how can I do that? Even when we look at the things that people did in the Bible, they're, they're, they're things that, honestly, we talk about, and it's almost like stories. It's almost like fairy tales. We can categorize it, well, you know, when have we ever seen that happen? When do we see that being taken in the modern day? So what I believe the Bible is showing us is individuals that did a bunch of small things that amounted to a big thing. And as long as we believe that the vision that God has for our lives or the purpose and the destiny that God has for our lives is bigger than we can achieve, we'll never pursue it for, for many different reasons, whether it be uh, for the, the fear of failing uh, in the midst of it, whether we believe that we don't have enough resources or we don't have enough people to agree with us. But I believe at the end of the day, that there are small steps that we can take that will allow us to be world changers. And uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find the story of an individual by the name of David, a young man, young shepherd boy, uh, that is uh, and was a world changer. And uh, I believe uh, that even though you and I may not face uh, an actual nine-something-foot-tall giant in real life, I believe that we face giants. Um, I believe as a culture and as a nation right now, uh, our nation is up against a giant. And how do we slay giants? How do we uh, uh, become world changers? And um, I want to take a look at a few things here um, that I think help us identify ways that we uh, can do just like David and become world changers in our communities, in our jobs, in our cultures, um, and in our world today. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to start with verse 23. I'm just going to read a portion of the story. I'm not going to read you the whole story, obviously. Uh, Most of us know about David and Goliath, and so I want to read a portion that I believe speaks to uh, where God wants us to go this morning. Verse 23 says, Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And David heard them, 
And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice that the Israelites said that uh, the giant has come to defy Israel. But David said, no, he has come to defy Israel, the armies of the living God. You know, I think one of the issues that we have in our world today is we take the battles of the enemy personally. And, and, and this was a national deal. We always say David versus Goliath, but it wasn't David versus Goliath. It was David. It was Goliath versus Israel, the people of God, God's chosen people, God's chosen generation. David was simply the one that stood out, stepped out from among the crowd. But David didn't take it personal. He didn't say, why are you saying that about me? Why are you saying that about my people? Why are you saying that about my kind? He said, why are you saying that ultimately about my God? He kept the battle where it is. He didn't change directions on the battle. He didn't get distracted by the battle. You could see here that, that David through this text could, could easily go a few different directions with his fight. He could go a few different directions with who he thinks he's fighting. We keep on going um, in verse 27. The people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. His own brother, his own house, his own people is, is, is angry against him. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Isn't it like people always wanted to bring up your past? Isn't it like people always wanting to keep you small-minded? Small-minded people will keep you small-minded. You've got to get away from small-minded people. Why'd you come down here? Well, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. They thought David was just showing up to be a spectator. You know, actually, David... Uh, anybody that knows the story, has already been anointed king. And his first duty as the king of Israel is to deliver cheese to people fighting. That's his first responsibility. That's his first uh, uh, assignment. All right, here's, you know, he's not trying on crowns. He's not getting fitted for robes. He's not, uh, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you know, he's not going to school to learn how to lead a nation. He's a delivery man. He's just showing up with some food for the guys that are fighting for his brothers. And uh, so, you know, doesn't really sound like that great of an assignment. But it's amazing how God will use the small assignments to put you in big places. I'll say that again. I love how God will use a small assignment to put you in a big place. And it's, it's honestly your ability to see the assignment the way God sees it. Because if you devalue the role, nobody else will. Nobody will honor your call and your position and, and, and your assignment that God's placed on your life more than you. It's first your responsibility to own the role. I'm anointed king. 
I, I, I've, I've already been anointed king. I don't even know what this guy's even doing here. God's already told me that his anger has been kindled against him. He's sad that he even made him king. And now I'm the new. Uh, and they didn't even pick my brothers, man. They had to call me out from the, from the field where I was tending sheep. They had to pick me. I mean, I've got what it takes. And his first assignment is to deliver cheese. And he's obedient with that. That's why he's even in the situation. God's assignments will put you in the right place at the right time. But we got to own the assignment. Uh, when, uh, 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 so he says, for you have come down to see the battle. You're just a spectator. You're just watching. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? He quickly gets the reflection off of himself and onto the, the battle, the fight, the war. Is there not a cause? He turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. I wonder if we're saying any words that are worth hearing today. I wonder if our words are, are worth uh, other people's attention. And other people's focus. David, just a shepherd boy, has something different to say than everybody else. He's not trained for this. He doesn't have this background, but it's the words that he spoke that cut. In verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine. Against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Go, and the Lord be with you. This is how we change the world. This is how we change the world. The first point I want to give you this morning is it's solutions, not problems. Solutions, not problems. I believe in, in our world today we have more problem finders than ever. People just want to find problems with everything. People just want to discover issues and communicate issues. And I, I believe that God is looking for his church to rise up in these last days and bring answers to hurts and pains, to bring solutions, not highlight problems. Everybody has the ability to find a problem. But it's leaders and it's world changers that discover solutions. And, and we're not here to, to re-communicate the problems that the media is, is trying to address. The, the, the media uh, is manipulated. 
the media has an agenda. Whichever media outlet you listen to determines uh, what you determines your reflection of a cer- certain situation. And we're seeing this now more than ever. They are simply pushing you to believe. They don't want you to see it however you determine. They want you to see it the way that they see it. They want to create problems. And they want to communicate problems. And then they want you to believe that that really is a problem. And then they want you to recommunicate and highlight the problem. So Fox News can put something out. And in 15 minutes, it's got a million views on a social media outlet, and then it's shared, uh, you know, a million times. And then we've got an innumerable amount of comments on that with an innumerable amount of opinions on that situation. It's the world that we live in. They, they highlight problems. Uh, they create problems, and God is looking for people that are not going to get sucked into the problem, but they're going to step outside of the problem and say, let me bring you a solution. Let me bring you an answer to the problem. Notice that David had, like I said, a couple opportunities to fight different battles. The, only, the, the, the battle between David and Goliath was not the only battle on this field. Not the only battle on this field. And what happens is, is we get distracted from the real fight. And when we fight the wrong battle, we lose the war. When you fight the wrong battle, you lose the war. I said last week that the enemy's tactic, the enemy's goal is distraction. That's how he operates. Division comes as a result of distraction. And what we have today is we have battles against everything. We've got Republican versus Democrat. We've got white versus black. We've got uh, 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 the, the people versus cops. We've got the people versus the government. Uh, uh, we, we, we side with whatever we think is convenient and comfortable for us. And every time we side, we divide. Every time we side, we divide. We've got Apple owners versus PC owners. We've got McDonald's versus Wendy's. We've, we, we've got, I like dark colors and I like bright colors. And, and, and the division and the divisiveness comes into play when we forget who we're really up against. When we lose sight of the real war. The question that I have today is, who are we throwing stones at? Who are we throwing stones at? Are we throwing our stones towards the enemy? The real enemy? Or are we turning on each other? David has an opportunity here to turn against his own brother. His own family is up against him. And this is a distraction to keep him from engaging in the real war. And as the church of the living God and as believers in these last days, one of the greatest things we're going to have to combat is opportunities to fight the wrong battle. We'll have to come against that. We will have to stand up for the real war. We'll have to fight uh, just to simply keep people's focus and attention on the real battle at hand. 
Because when we fight each other, we're losing the war. What battle are you engaged in today? It's not husband versus spouse. Husband versus wife and wife versus spouses. You're not against your children. You're not against your boss. You're not against your co-workers. You're not against people of a different color or ethnicity. You're not against a, a certain political party. We are standing uh, for the righteous living king in the last days. I stand for righteousness. Last week I started out by saying that there is a division that will take place. There is a separation that will take place. And the only separation that God is interested in is separating light from darkness. If that is not your first interest, you are not a part of the solution. You have made yourself a part of the problem. Our interest should be to see people pulled out of darkness and into light, just as 1 Corinthians 1 tells us. Or Colossians 1, I'm sorry, Colossians 1. I know some of you are going to go home and look that up and say, I don't see that. It's all right. Hold me accountable. Colossians tells me that there's a separation between light and darkness. Jesus said there will be a separation from the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the wolves. I tell you what, we've got to be interested in what God is interested in. Churches will separate, man. There's divisiveness taking place in the church of God. I don't mean just the church of God. I mean the church of the, the church of the living God. I know that that is a separation in and of itself. Denominations, what we believe and what we don't believe, and and, and how we all interpret the word. We, it's the divisive nature of the enemy that he wants us to divide within, because he can't win from the outside in. So he has to tear us apart from the inside out. And David is facing a battle that's even more important than his battle with Goliath. He's facing a battle with people that don't believe in him, people that don't see his purpose, people that don't see his destiny, people that don't know the hand of God that's upon his life. Even his own family's coming against him. And he could easily turn and start throwing stones at them, but he decides, no, 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 no. I'm not getting distracted here. This isn't about me against you. This is about us against him. And that's what we need in the last days is for the church to band together and say, this is not about me against you. This is about us together fighting the enemy. When there's division in your marriage, it's not husband against wife. It is both of you coming against the attack of the enemy to separate you because he knows if I can isolate, if I can get you by yourself, if I can get you separated, you will not be effective for the kingdom of God. There has to be division. Division prefaces destruction. There has to be division before there's destruction. So when we don't engage the real enemy, we will become distracted by the wrong enemy, by each other. And that's what we're seeing in our world. Notice that David didn't attack his brother. He didn't fight back against the individuals that discounted him and didn't believe in him. He kept the main thing, the main thing. This is about us warring against 
principalities and powers and spiritual forces, and we're going to stand against this thing together, locking arms, holding hands. We are going to become of one mind, serving one God in one faith, with one spirit. We are going to come against this thing together. Unified. He didn't allow himself to become distracted. Guys, we've got to recognize that we are fighting and warring against kingdom problems. Kingdom problems. There is a kingdom. God's kingdom. God's rule. God's reign. This is why I said last week that what needs to change is men's hearts. The evil in the world is the result of evils and evil in men's hearts. But the good that we see in the world is the result of good in men's hearts. We are warring against an enemy that wants men's hearts. You don't change the outside until you change the inside. Therefore, if anyone is created in Christ, he is a new creation on the inside. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But we know that the new life on the inside needs to be reflected on the outside. And, 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 and our, our, our worlds and, 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 and people are trying to change people's lives by changing the stuff on the outside. If we eliminate this and if we add this, then people will get along. Then uh, people will walk in love. You are asking people to walk in the agape love of God that is only shed abroad in people's hearts by the Holy Spirit. Are we expecting people to do something that they cannot do? It's the love of God. And the only way you can know the love of God is to know God. God is love. We want people to know love without knowing God. And the world has redefined what love even looks like. We throw around words like tolerance and acceptance. And we have confused God's love with God's pleasure. I love Camden, but I am not pleased by everything that he does. And we have people that want to walk around in the church with the lower standard of living than God has called us to live. He's called us to righteousness. He's called us to holiness. He's called us to attain perfection. That does not mean you will be perfect. That does not mean you will never blow it or miss it. But if there are areas of our lives going unchecked by the Holy Spirit and by the standard of his word, and we want to justify and make excuses for certain lifestyles that God's word clearly is against, and the, in the name of tolerance and acceptance, I'm afraid that we're not serving the same God. I tell pastors all the time, I say, you know, we could be unified as, uh, you know, we could be unified as much as we want to be unified. I attend a, uh, uh, actually now I head up a, a group of pastors in our town that, that meet once a month, come together. All denominations, all backgrounds, all belief systems. And one of the number one things they've thrown around, I've told you all this before, is, is they talk about, you know, we need unity. We need to be unified. First of all, don't let the world tell you who you are. I'm tired of us, the church, buying into a lie that they think people believe. That Who's, saying, who's really saying that? That the church isn't unified, that, that we don't come together. But I'll tell you where the unity draws the line, and it's God's word. 
I can only unify around this. This is all that, hey, I love you. I care for you. But at the end of the day, the unity that we're looking for in the world is built around the word of God. This is where we unify. And this doesn't care about skin color. This doesn't care about background and what side of the tracks you grew up on and how much money you had. This doesn't care about political parties and, and, and what you believe about this or that. This is where we unify, that we serve one God who is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth to die for our sins because we failed and messed up. But God restored his kingdom into this planet through man so you could be empowered to rule once again. That's what this Bible's all about. And if you don't see that, then you need your eyes opened. That's what the Word of God is about, and that's where we unify, and that's where we become one. We don't become one by agreeing to disagree. I'm sorry. One of the reasons Christian Ministers Network was set up in the first place is because there's another group in town that is called interfaith. Whatever you believe, whatever background, whatever religion, you could be Christian, you could be Muslim, you could be atheist. We just all want to come and and just, I don't even know how that works. I, I don't even know how the enemy has twisted our minds to the point that we even can see that operating but it does prove to me that we can unify (laughs) if you can get people in one room with that many different backgrounds and belief systems and they can come together and it shows you what the power of unity can accomplish that even a minority in our nation has such a loud voice all they did was get a bigger megaphone while the church sits back sits back silent, fighting over methods rather than trying to discover the message, fighting about how long a worship service should go or how many services you should have or how big you should be or, or, you know, uh, do we need that kind of sound system and do we really need that many people on stage and, 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 and just all the silliness that goes on. So we've got to find solutions. God's looking for people today that are solution-driven. Our leadership knows this. Don't come to me with problems. David recognized, I see a problem. I see a solution. And it's not in warring this battle, Eliab. I'm not going to fight you, man. You call me out. You say I'm prideful and that I have insolence in my heart. That's fine. This battle isn't between me and you. There's a man out there that's defying all of us. And we can become distracted with one another, or we can band together and say, we're going after that one. Come on, anybody with me? We're going to get our eyes on the right fight. We're going to get our eyes back on the battlefield. We're going to get our eyes on the devil, the enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's doing it. Will the church rise up in these last days? We've got to find solutions not problems. Number two, how do we change the world? I believe that it's capacity, not competency. Capacity, not competency. I I believe that God is more interested in what you can handle more than what you can have. What do I mean by that? David had a gift that every single world changer in the body or or in, in the Bible had. Did one thing, 
Abraham did one thing. Noah did one thing. Moses did one thing. Jesus did one thing. Paul did one thing. Obey. Obey. I think we talk ourselves out of being world changers because we don't think we have what it takes. Maybe we should start at, stop asking, do we have what it stake, takes? And we can start asking, do I have what I need to give? Competency. It's amazing to me that God a lot of times will pull on you and draw on you and and pick you to do something that you are not qualified for. It's almost like he does it on purpose just to mess with you. I mean, he didn't ask Abraham to start a business because he's a wealthy man. He didn't ask him to start an organization to help out the poor and the needy. You obviously are great with wealth and great with financing, and I've blessed you greatly. So this is no. He he pulls on the one thing he doesn't have: fertility, the ability to produce offspring. The one thing he does not have access to. The one thing that he is lacking in resource. It's amazing that God will pull on the thing that we've already put on the shelf. Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham and Sarah, they've already considered themselves dead in the womb. They've already considered them beyond the age of childbearing years. They've hung that one up, man. God must want to use us in a different, in a different way, in a different direction. And God says, nope, that's the very thing I want to draw on you. Come on. What is the thing that you've hung up? What's the thing you put on? I'm not competent. I can't do that. I can't change this. I I don't have any influence there. And he's saying, yeah, I just want to know if you'll obey. I just want to know if you have the capacity within you, the potential and the ability to just follow me and be faithful with little so I can make you faithful with much. This is what God is calling on his church to do today. We got to quit putting ourselves out of the picture. Anything that God's going to accomplish in the earth today, guess what? He's going to use you and I to do it. Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do it, somebody else will. God is more interested in the purpose than he is in you. That might sound a little hard. But he's more interested in the assignment that you're called to fulfill in the earth. And you have been given a great purpose and a great destiny. And, a, and, and, and you can fulfill it if you'll give your life to him. And David, David had the capacity to obey. And, and I'm telling you right now, it's not about talent. It's about heart. God will take people with the right heart and no talent all day over people with a lot of talent and no heart. Every team that we have operating in this church knows that. It's not about how well you can do it. It's about how you do it. He's not concerned with what you have. He's concerned with how you use what you have. You may have one talent, and if you bury that in the ground, we're not going to achieve what we need. But if you'll take that one talent and you'll risk it and you'll use the potential and use the ability that God's given you, he will do great things through you. And it's time for the church to stop measuring its success 
according to what man says and start measuring its success according to what God says. You're not successful because you compare yourself to the couple down the road that seems to have it all together. You're successful because you obeyed God and you stayed when you felt like leaving. You persevered when you felt like quitting. You endured when you felt like getting off the, uh, off the train. You stayed on course. Success in God's eyes looks very much different than man's eyes. And we have a world today that, that desires to please man over pleasing God. David was only interested in one thing, pleasing his Lord. And even when he was discounted, discredited, uh, we, we, we see here in verse uh, 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. What's that tell me? That the enemy might seem greater than you, but it's not about you. It's about who's in you. It's about who's living through you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And it's time we stop looking at our own abilities and our own uh, 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 talent levels and degrees of influence. And I'm going to tell you right now that in these last days, it's those that you didn't think could do it, that didn't have the ability, that didn't have the influence, that are going to make the greatest impact for the kingdom. There was nothing in David's background that communicated, I can whip this guy. So it seems. There was no natural preparation. He says, you are just a youth. This man has been fighting since he was your age. This man is trained to do this. This man has given his life for military training, for killing people. You take care of sheep. But David responds. David responds and he says, you know, that was one time I went out after a lion grabbed him by the beard, cut his head off. I slayed a lion, slayed a bear. But you know what? Let me take this step further, King Saul. It's not even about what I killed. It's about who was working through me. And he said, and I believe the Lord will be with me just as he was then. Guys, you got to understand, it's not your competency, it's not your ability, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by his spirit, says the Lord. It's time that you strengthen yourself in the Lord just as David did. And David had something that King Saul had, even though King Saul uh, was a talented man. He looked good on the outside. He was picked by the people. He was head and shoulders above them all. He was trained in war and military, and he could fight. But God said, you know what? David, yeah, he's a man after my own heart. And that's what I'm looking for. And I believe he's still looking for that today. Who's got the capacity? Who's got the Everybody else has looked past you. Everybody else passed on you. Everybody else went on by. Even the prophet thought this must surely be the one. Okay, not him. Next one. Okay, this is it. This is the man right here. And we get all the way down to a shepherd boy who has a heart 
man looks on the outside, God says. But I look at the heart. It's not about what you have. It's about how you use what you have. Number three, it's position, not condition. It's position, not condition. There's something about David in this scenario that I think empowered him greater than facing a lion, facing a bear. We've already communicated that he naturally did not have the ability to to fight a man of this stature, much much less a, a man of war. It's one thing just to go against a giant. It's one thing just to go against a giant that doesn't know anything about fighting, but a, a giant that knows how to use a shield and a spear and a sword and has all the right moves, all the right training. He's got the mental capacity to easily take this kid out. There's one thing that gets overlooked about David. And David was close to God. Close to God. I know that sounds really simple, like, okay, so he had a good relationship with his father, but let's just internalize it a little bit. Look on the inside. How's my relationship with my father? How are we going to be the church in the last days if we don't even have a relationship with our father and our king? This is a man that spent hours in a field playing a harp, worshiping his God, worshiping his Lord, hearing from him. The confidence that he has is because of his relationship with his father. You want to be a world changer? Want to change the world? We got to find solutions, not problems. Want to change the world? We've got to identify our capacity to obey over our competency to do. You want to be the change, you want to change the world, you got to know your position with your father over your natural condition of being small, young, untrained. No background, no history. Here's the thing about destiny. Destiny is discovered, not decided. You don't pick and choose what God has for you. We don't pick and choose what he wants us to do. We don't decide that. We don't just come you know what, I think I'm going to do this, or I think I'm going to do that, or I think I'm going to solve this problem or fix this issue. No, we are simply just finding out what God has already planned for us all along. It's not up to you to decide. But how do we discover God's purpose? You discover God's purpose by discovering God. Too many times when it comes to God's will, God, what is your will for my life? What is your purpose for me? What, what do you want me to do? And we are more interested in God's will than God. 
We just want God to tell us what to do. We don't want to get to know the one who's telling us what to do. And, and I've learned this in my life, that I know someone's will by knowing someone. I know my wife's will. I know her intentions. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. Not because she just sat down one day and said, all right, here's the things I like and here's the thing. I learned it because I got to know her. And as a result of knowing her, I now know her will. And as a result of knowing God, you discover God's will. And David was confident in his will and his purpose and God's desires for his life because he knew God himself. I'm asking the church today, do you know the Father? Do you spend time with the Father? Are you in his word? Are you in prayer, communicating with the Father? Are you worshiping him and living your life for him? Are you, are you, are you coming to church just to, to, to get a, a spiritual fix? Or are you coming here because you know without this, I don't have the life source that I need to be the believer God's called me to be? Real life questions if you want to be a world changer. And every single person in this room, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you have the capacity to change the world. Tell Abraham he couldn't change the world. I'm telling you, we, we, we underestimate our obedience to God. Pastor Earl, you used to tell us all the time, never underestimate the obedience of one man. One man. And sometimes I think we overestimate. We overestimate what happens if I say no when God says go. It's something we got to look at. How is David able to be so confident, a young man with no training, no background, no military experience, to fight a giant? It's because he's not looking at his condition. He's looking at his position. And God is not a respecter of persons. And to every person in this room, you will change the world with your life, with your actions, with your influence. We'll discover these three things. I know that this is very uh, 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 general. This is an inspirational message today. I'm not trying to teach. I'm not breaking the word open and, and trying to. Un- I'm trying to help you see that what a young man did that we all deem as great and huge. And his story is talked about. Even people that don't know God and don't know the Bible know about David and Goliath. It's used uh, as a cultural term now. People that have no idea who God is, we use the term, oh, that's a David versus Goliath situation. We'll say that about sports teams, and we'll say that about businesses that are going up against each other. And we'll, 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 we, we, we know what a Goliath is, and we know what a David is. We, we know this stuff. But that story is in the Bible because a young man took the opportunity to find a solution instead of add to the problem. He took an opportunity to allow capacity within him to override his competency to fulfill a task or assignment that naturally he was not capable of. And he knew his position with his father over his condition with man. 
Guys, if you would come up. There in verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And he ends, or the verse ends and says, And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Is the church trying to fulfill its purpose without the Lord? The Lord is with you even when man is against you. Even when everything's falling apart, even when it seems like there's no way for my potential, my purpose, uh, my, my, my assignment, my destiny to be fulfilled. God is wanting to show us today that it's not up to man. He never obligated your assignment to someone else. You're the only one. When everyone else quits, when everyone else backs out, when no one else is with you, the Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Guys, the Lord is with us. We are His church. We are His church. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones that have been empowered to bring His kingdom rule and His kingdom authority back into the earth once again. It's you and I. But the Lord is with us. Who are you waiting on? Who have you obligated? I'll step out when this thing happens or or I'll go after that when this person comes alongside. I'll, I'll pursue this. And God is saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. Greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I have already called you more than a conqueror. I've already made you more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You've overcome that. You've overcome that. We're overcomers. We're conquerors. Come on, I'm trying to inspire you this morning. I'm trying to get at the heart of the matter. This isn't about you versus someone else. This isn't about uh, agendas trying to get us off course. It's all distractions. Put the blinders off and get your focus back. Get your mind set on things above, not on things below. I'm tired of the devil distracting the church of Christ. I'm tired of the devil distracting his people. I'm tired of the distractions taking place, not just in the world, but in the church. In the church. This is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. The church is. I'm tired of the church waiting on God to do something he told the church to do. got to step out we got to step out but when you step out remember the lord is with you the lord is with you the lord is with you come on the lord is with you 
Whatever it is, the Lord is with you. Whatever you're up against, the Lord is with you. If it's in your marriage, the Lord is with you. If it's with your kids, the Lord is with you. If it's a job issue, the Lord is with you. If it's a government or or, or a policy, the Lord is with you. The Lord will avenge you. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. He's with us. I want to sing this real quick. I want to sing this. Go ahead and stand up. I want to sing this real quick. You need to know. You need to know. He's your God. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. He's with you. He cares about you. He loves you. He's given you a great purpose and a great destiny and a great assignment. God has called you to be the difference, to be a world changer for the kingdom of God. Let's sing this, Chase. You will be our guide. He's with us. He will not forsake us. Come on. He hasn't left you. He hasn't left you alone. destiny that you've called us to. Father, may we recognize that. May we recognize what you've placed inside of us. The giant is great. The battle is great. But Father, greater, greater, greater is he that is in us. May we quit being distracted by the things around us. And may we unite together, band together to fight the thing that's before us. Father, your church, you've empowered with great influence. And I thank you that we will impact this earth for the kingdom of God. We side with your party. We side with the kingdom. We allow your rule and your reign to live inside of us. You've called us to be the answer to the problem. This is your church. These are your people. This is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. No weapon formed against us will prosper. I thank you, Father, as we we unite together, we will see your kingdom come. We will see your will be done. We will seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness all these things, all these things will be added unto us. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.